the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another Conference USA episode of the Underdog Podcast. Uh, special time of the year with just about a week left, really, before the uh, season really kicks off. Thought we'd do a, a full comprehensive season preview, or as much as we can, uh, with just two people and the amount of research we're able to do. Uh, Joe Lonergan with you once again, and uh, Eric Henry. Uh, Eric, how you doing, man? I know it's been like a week or so since we talked. I think the last episode we did was the, the news wrap-up, right? That would be correct, sir. It's been a little bit, uh, it's been what, yeah, about about eight, nine days, something like that. Uh, I usually, you know, the positive thing about football season rolling around, Joe, is that I know that I won't be going such long periods of time without talking to you. Hmm. And uh, the two things I look forward to this time of year, Joe, are having football in my life and having these conversations with you, sir. So beautiful time of year. Oh, you're too kind. Yeah. So weekly, I mean, we've, I feel like we've been doing weekly shows for the most part, uh, the entire off season, which I think is, um, we can, we really kicked it into gear this off season and obviously couldn't have done it. Couldn't have done it without you <laughs> reminding me to keep doing episodes. So I, uh, definitely appreciate you, buddy. Uh, no worries, man. Like I said, you know, it's, uh, it's been an exciting off season. So it's always been, uh, plenty of a uh, reason to have a chomp at the bit to do a podcast and we'll knock out another one today with this one I've been looking forward to our season preview. I'm sure a lot of Conference USA fans are looking forward to this to hear us uh, make predictions about their team and or look for reasons to give us crap on the back end. So it should be fun. I was just gonna say let's let's see uh, who we're gonna who we're gonna make happy and who we're gonna piss off with with the predictions this year. Um, so with that we'll just we'll just jump into win-loss totals for each team, just kind of go down the list and talk about uh, who's going to improve upon what they did last year, who's going to get worse, who's going to stay about the same. Uh, let's start with Charlotte. I know this is a team that, uh, that we've kind of been back and forth on quite a bit over the last year or so. Um, but as of late, I've kind of come around to thinking, I think this is a team that's um, definitely on an upward trend. I think the new coach is definitely going to put them in the position to succeed, or at least a much better position to succeed than Brad Lambert ever had them in. Um, and, you know, some very good talent on offense and defense there. And um, after looking at their schedule, I think I think they're going to be 5-7 and seven and uh, right on the break of the bowl game. Um, I, you know, with that record, hard to say if they'll get a bowl game or not, obviously, with that rule that uh, just recently let teams who are 5-7 and seven be in the bowl conversation. But um, I think I feel pretty confident in saying I think they're going to win five games and at least be in that in that conversation for, for a bowl. Yeah, obviously, you know how I feel about the Charlotte 49ers. I'm, you, for those of us who follow us on social media, which of course you should be, you saw Joe's tweet a while back that said, you know, hey, uh, or actually it wasn't, it wasn't Joe's, it was my tweet, but it was Joe's line in the uh, CUSA roundtable that I finally brought him around on uh, Charlotte. So um, I believe that they are a lock for six, and I'm torn on seven. The uh, games that I, I believe they'll win guaranteed, or at least, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but I believe they're locked more or less, are Gardner-Webb, UMass, Western Kentucky, UTEP, and Old Dominion. Those are the five right there. I'm sure those are the five that you have them winning as well. The ones that I believe are toss-ups are Middle Tennessee and either FAU or FIU. Uh, I know... Some people might be listening to this and think, how could I have them potentially beating FIU? I said it's a toss-up. Uh, a major reason for that is Benny LeMay. If you look at his career, the team who he has the most success against would be the FIU Panthers. And until they have shown an ability to stop the run sufficiently, you've got to kind of give you know one of the top running backs in the league a chance. So right now, like I said, I have them at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, Of those three games that I said are toss-ups, I think the one that they most likely win is middle. Uh, so yeah, um, I, it, it's tossing between six and six and seven and five for me. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I mean, I I feel less confident in saying just because I think there are I think there's some really tough uh, tough games on there, especially at the beginning of the season. I think uh, App State's obviously going to be a tough competition. Um, I think they'll I think they'll beat UMass. I think is what I said, but I think it's going to be a close game. And then um, really after that third game, I have them going on a, a pretty tough. Uh, five-game losing streak, and I think that's kind of what's going to separate them from being a definite bowl inclusion. But um, I like—I don't have their, their schedule in front of me as we speak, but I, I feel pretty confident in saying I think they're going to encounter some some close matchups in that stretch and maybe just not have quite enough juice to really make it a sure thing. 
Sure. And like I said, you know, it, it truly is a toss-up with some of those games. Uh, I think the five that I mentioned are, are pretty solidly locked for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll kind of, I don't want to lead over into some of our other topics, but they have some guys, they have some pieces who I think, once again, you know, with Charlotte, it's really kind of the perfect scenario if all things come together. Um, but they have studs, you know, they have Benny LeMay, they have Alex Highsmith, they have Ben DeLuca. So it's not like the talent isn't there, you know, once again, uh, don't want to bleed into our next conversation, which really is about the quarterback position, in my opinion. For sure. Uh, speaking of studs, um, we'll just move on to the next team uh, and we'll talk about a squad that has plenty of them. Um, FIU Panthers. I won't talk about them too much just because I know you certainly have more to say about them than I do since you spend more time with them. But um, I obviously I think they're going to get to the uh, I think they're going to get to the 11 and one mark. I think the only game that they uh, drop is that Miami game. Um, and even then, I think that's going to be closer than what a lot of people expect it to be. But I don't see them really having too much trouble with uh, any of the other opponents on their schedule, um, especially since I, I don't believe they play. Yeah, I'm correct. They don't play North Texas uh, in the regular season, so I think that's going to be. I think that that run is going to be uh, really successful for, for them in getting to the 11 and one mark. I just want to make sure I heard you correctly, Joe. You have them at 11 and one. Yeah. Well. Right, because then they, the, the Conference USA Championship game would be the 13th game, right? Right, correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. no, I, I promise. I promise. That wasn't a trick question. I just, you know, it, it kind of caught my attention because you actually have them uh, winning more games than I do <laughs> around the program. Uh, I do think they make double digits. I, I think it's 10 and 2. I think between Tulane and, and La Tech, I think one of those two games, I mean, really could go Tulane, La Tech, or Marshall, but I do think they beat Marshall. Um, for me, it's Tulane and La Tech. Uh, they had two, both of those teams. I think they split one of those, and I think they fall to Miami. Once again, we're kind of in agreement with the UM game. You know, the Hurricanes, I don't think uh, we have to belabor their history over the past 15 years or so. Uh, they've been a team that's, you know, been projected to be world beaters and things don't exactly fall in that fashion. So that could be a closer game, but I still think Miami takes it. Um, but yeah, I have them at 10 and 2. Uh, I mean, it just, you know, the litany of playmakers, James Morgan, Sage Lewis. Part of the reason that I think FIU really should be a, a solid choice to uh, beat some of the expectations that I'm seeing from Vegas, which are seven and a half, and be uh, a firm choice in the Conference USA title game, I think a lot of people aren't accounting for the little things. For example, James Morgan being in year two in Rich Grassi's offense. Uh, you've heard me talk about this in the podcast. The guy only had 17 practices coming into the year, so an entire offseason. Another thing, uh, a guy like Stanley Thomas Oliver, who will be in his second season at cornerback, which is amazing to think, considering he had such an excellent year uh, as a first-year player at the position. Uh, Anthony Jones, we talked about him. You know, he missed uh, seven games. Missed seven, yeah, missed seven games last year due to the uh, the shooting. Um, he'll be healthy, ideally. So there's a lot of guys. And, of course, if they can get the run defense, just at least even adequate. They don't even have to play. Uh, they don't have to be, you know, the 2000 Baltimore Ravens or the Seattle Seahawks or anything like that. But if they can just bring the run defense into being respectable, uh, that kind of takes care of some things from last year that, um, or kind of builds some things from last year that might be able to get them extra win or two. So, yeah, I've got them at 10. Yeah, I think I went back and forth on that Louisiana Tech game because I think uh, Tech is going to be a, a really strong um squad this year as well but i think just based on like what i saw last year i think if you give them an offseason to improve and james morgan has another year to get better than what he was doing and, and even learn that scheme uh to an even deeper extent uh i really think this this team has the potential to be something special so um that was kind of my my thinking there but i think we were pretty close um in the conclusions that we came to about the fiu panthers there um and yeah, I think just with, with what we've talked about with the transfers that have come in and the job that Butch Davis has done recruiting, I think they have the potential to you know keep this going for for a few more years. Um, but yeah, that that Miami game, I think, like we mentioned, that's that's going to be a tough one in terms of the talent that Miami has, even with the the recent struggles. But uh, should be a really entertaining season for the FIU Panthers. And I mean, I, I think it goes without saying at this point, we'll talk about a, talk about it a little more in depth later in the show, but I think they're my pick to win the Eastern Division and get to the uh, get to the conference championship game, which at that point they would have to with an 
11 and one record. Um, with that, then I guess we'll just blow on to the FAU Owls. Uh, I have them at eight and four. I think that uh, that first stretch of the season is going to be a little bit tough. Uh, I have them losing two games to start off and then um, mostly picking up steam throughout the rest of the season. But I think just, I think it's going to be a similar similar issue that they had last year uh, with, with the exception of, I think they're going to be a more mature team and a more uh, cohesive team than what they were last year. I don't expect them to encounter the, the injury issues. And I think they've had a year to kind of adjust their game plan from, you know, just having the kind of like dominant running back at the G5 level that Devin Singletary was. So I think it'll be, I think it'll be uh, a pretty good year for them, but just not, you know, not quite as good as the other Miami team there. Sure, yeah. Uh, with FAU, hmm. I think a big thing, once again, not to bleed into our you know conversation coming up, but they got one of the biggest additions of the offseason, and he doesn't play, but he's a hell of a coach from Glenn Spencer. Uh, we know the job that he did at Charlotte with that defense, you know, the 49ers players, whether it be Alex Highsmith or Ben DeLuca, guys like that, they all rave about his impact on their defensive unit last year. And I think he's going to be able to find ways to – put guys like Rashad Smith, James Pierre, Zion Gilbert, um, Tim Bonner, you know, last chance you came, guys like that. He's going to put them in position to make plays. So while the offense is coming along, whether that be Chris Robinson finding his footing again at quarterback or the running back situation kind of uh, steadying itself, I think the defense is going to play well. A guy who I'm really high on, B.J. Emmons, I, I quite frankly think he has uh, really great potential to be CUSA's newcomer of the year, and then a name of a freshman that CUSA fans should get accustomed to now is Larry McCammon, out of Hoover High School. Um, if anyone remembers the old show on MTV called Two a Days, uh, the old football show, uh, that's where Hoover is. But uh, he's a true freshman coming in, and I think he's going to compliment BJ Emmons well. For my prediction, I am torn between eight and four and seven and five. Uh, I'm leaning more towards eight and four, but once again, time will tell. I I think. Even if, if you really want to get really optimistic about the Owls, UCF coming in has a really has strong potential to be a trap game for the Knights. Uh, it's looking like they might actually start the true freshman Dylan Gabriel over Brandon Wimbush. Uh, so that could put forth an entire set of issues with them heading to FAU. But I'm going to stay solid at, uh, at eight and four between eight and four and seven and five, and I'll lean towards eight and four. All right. First, uh, first agreement of the day. So that'll be, yeah, I think it's, I think you make an interesting point about that, that UCF game being a trap for UCF, but I, I still think that we've seen Lane Kiffin's teams just need a little bit, uh, you know, even in that season where um, they won the league and they looked like they may or they may have been in contention for a new year six game. They just need a little bit of time to like really get the wheels spinning. And I think it's, that's going to happen after that game. I think those first two games are going to be enough of a wake up call for them to realize like, Oh, we, we are a really talented team. We just have to actually like, you know, be, you know, be present. And I think that's, that's going to happen after that UCF game. Um, with that, I guess we can talk about the West a little bit with uh, Louisiana Tech. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we we talked about it a little bit with Corey Diaz the other day, um, but I think this is a really strong team, and I think um, this junior class is really something special, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I think Jamar Smith, um, you know, this is going to be one of his last shots to really like show what he what he has and the kind of leader that he's developed into. Um, and I mean, this this program has just been on such a roll. It's hard to imagine them doing anything other than uh, at the very least getting to a bowl game and succeeding. Um, but I think they're they're gonna they're going to be a lot better than a lot of people um, think they will be. I think they're going to get to a nine and three record. And uh, once again, get to a bowl game and win. And that makes five straight for them, I believe. Yeah. Tech is kind of an interesting team, right? So um, I'm a little bit torn on them in terms of, I have them finishing third in CUSA West, but I could easily see them finishing second. It's just between them and Southern Miss. The thing with them is they have, you know, in college football, if you have guys at the right positions who are studs, you know, you're going to be into ball games. They have those in Jamar Smith, Adrian Hardy, uh, Jaquist Dancy, uh, Mick Robertson. I mean, they have, you know, arguably the best receiver in Conference USA. 
I, well, actually, I shouldn't even say it's arguable in terms of cornerback. I think Omic Robertson is the best cornerback in Conference USA. And Jamar Smith is a hell of a talent at quarterback. He can just kind of put the consistency together. Um, they're going to be right there. I have them, like I said, I have them finishing third. I have them at seven and five. But I can easily see them flip-flopping and finishing eight and four um, in place of Southern Miss. And, you know, once again, it, that could be a game that they could uh, – they play October 19th. I'm looking at my schedule here. If uh, if Tech takes that one, then you know we put them ahead and put them in eight and four. And who knows? I mean, we are in agreement that we think this is North Texas' year once again, without spoiling the later half of this program. But North Texas has to go out and show that they can play up to their you know standard of football for an entire season. So we'll see what happens. But with Tech, I, I just think a uh, couple tough games. I mean, Texas, we don't think they're going to win. You know, they got a couple games out there they can probably kind of write off, but. Um, outside of that, we'll see what happens. That end of the year for them is is brutal with North Texas, even if it is a home game for Louisiana Tech. But you got North Texas on November 9th, uh, away at Marshall the week after that, uh, at UAB Thanksgiving weekend, and then closing out the regular season at home versus uh, UTSA, which I think they'll – obviously, I think they'll beat UTSA. But those three games before that, that's a pretty brutal stretch. So that's that's really going to show like what kind of team this is, I think. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of that Marshall team, let's talk about them next. Um, so I think this is a team, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, that's got a lot of good things going for it. I'm slightly less sure about the defense, but I, I think just the way that this group is coached, um, I think over the last couple of years, I think they've just shown that they deserve a certain level of confidence, um, at least to get to a bowl game. And then I think they they kind of – I don't want to say lucked out, but I think they definitely have um, they have the benefit of being uh, in the East and having games against all those uh, a, a certain number of teams in the East who I just think are definitely in a rebuilding stage. Um, and I think this Marshall team, um, while they're not at the level that uh, like a North Texas is, where we're all expecting them to really shine um i think they have enough that uh there'll they'll be a solid number two in the east probably so i'm picking them at uh, eight and four for this year yeah see once again i was torn between eight and four and nine and three for them uh just a quick look at their schedule the games that I, i'm going to kind of write off for them boise fiu are two and then one that i'm torn on is uh cincy uh i, I think Cincy's going to be a really good team coming out of the american and then there's potentially a fourth loss there, but I have them at nine and three. Um, yeah, we talk about, you know, Isaiah Green is a guy who has immense talent, and he's another guy, young quarterback last year, who developed some consistency. I'm really excited about the run game. I think they have two studs in Brendan Knox and Tyler King. Um, now that you have kind of a, a one-two punch there, I think that's going to help them tremendously. And Obi Obialo. Uh, people tend to forget he's an Oklahoma State transfer. So he's got, you know, quote unquote, that P5 talent uh, and maybe just kind of needed to, just an opportunity to step out of Tyree Brady's shadow. Um, and not that Obi didn't make plays in his own right, because he certainly did at FIU last year. Uh, defensively, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, Marquise Couch is, is a very talented player. You know, they, they've got Chris Jackson. Uh, I think Furman Silva has the opportunity to be a huge huge pickup for them. Uh, even if it's just in a pass rush specialist type of role, you know, maybe a guy who can uh, doesn't play, you know, on first and second down, but can easily rush a pass and make up with six or seven sacks on the year. So we'll see what happens. But I, I've got Marshall finishing second in the East in nine and three. Back up to the uh, the beginning of this season there. Uh, how do you see that non-conference schedule unfolding for them? Honestly, I see it as two and two. Um, VMI in Ohio, I think they win at Boise and Cincy, I think they're losses. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I had. So I was just curious because, you know, I think Boise obviously there's a lot of high expectations for them this year and they have the benefit of playing, uh, at home, really long road trip for that Marshall team. And then the Cincinnati team has just been, uh, really, really strong, uh, the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I think they'll, they'll just flex a little bit of that American conference muscle, uh, on them in, uh, on September 28th in Huntington. Um, but yeah, so I think we're, we're pretty, pretty much in agreement on uh, how the thundering herd season's going to go. Um, but then we'll move on to the, uh, boys in blue out of Murfreesboro, middle Tennessee States. 
Uh, I'm not optimistic that this team's going to have a solid bounce back year with the loss of uh, Brent Stockstill. Um, certainly some, some decent talent on that roster still, but I really think he was kind of the glue that was holding this team together. Uh, and then you don't have a lot of the offensive weapons that he was, uh, you know, had the benefits of in the past. Um, and for that reason, I think they're going to go three and nine. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think that they're going to get to that level that, um, you know, Rick Stockstill has had this team in the last couple of years um, because of the, that thing that I just mentioned. There's, there's been a loss of talent. Um, I think they're going to have issues uh, with consistency. And, uh, you know, I, while the other quarterbacks in that stable are certainly okay, I just don't think that they had the, um, the skill that Brett Stock still had. And obviously he had the, uh, the benefit of knowing that system inside and out. And that, that really helped them in the last, uh, last couple of years, and particularly last year. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Your feelings on Middle Tennessee State, and I don't specifically mean you, I mean just, you know, generally, you know, whoever is, is uh, people are following CUSA, your feelings about NTSU are probably dictated towards how much you think Brent Stocks will carry that team. I am a believer that Brent, especially on offense, may have, you know, covered up some things. And, I mean, we got to give Brent his due. The guy's one of the greatest quarterbacks in conference history. With that being said, I'm a little bit higher on them. I have them. I'm looking at my notes at five and seven. I could easily see them at five and seven or four and eight. I think they have, once again, arguably one of the best defensive players in the entire conference and maybe one of the best safeties in the nation. And Reed Blankenship. Now, Reed can only have so much of an effect from the safety position. It's not like he's going to make up with loss of Brent Stock still. But they've got a lot of pieces on defense that I like. Javante Moffitt, uh, Khalil Brooks, DQ Thomas, Malik Manseal. Those are all guys who I think, you know, they'll keep them in games. If you look at the early part of their schedule, <laughs> which I, I know you have, uh, they, they're probably looking at a one and four start, you know, at Michigan, Tennessee State to win. Uh, they play Duke, Iowa, and then Marshall. And then that's tough. It doesn't get any easier with North Texas, FAU, and FIU. So there's, you know, plenty of reason to kind of jump on Joe's line of thinking there. Um, I think as far as the quarterback position goes, I. I'm torn on Asher O'Hara. I think he provides some things that Brent Stockstill did that might be really easily transferable, but he doesn't provide the passing dynamic, and that's going to affect guys like Ty Lee and Brad Anderson. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm torn between 5-7 and seven and 4-8 and eight with them, probably leaning more towards the 5-7 and seven just because I think they might be able to sneak a win they probably shouldn't get because of the defense. Um, but, yeah, I, I could easily see 4-8 and eight or, or even the 3-9 and nine predict as well. Yeah, you make a you make a good point about that particularly uh, brutal beginning of the schedule for them. Just with, I think they have like they have two or three P five games in there with uh, Michigan, Iowa, and then was there another one? And Duke, yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's really tough to bounce back from that with uh, bounce or it's really tough to dive into that hard of a schedule, especially when you have that young of a roster. Um, and side tangent, you make a, a good point about um, Blankenship at safety there. Safety is such a weird spot because if you're good, then obviously that's a huge benefit to your defense, but you're the last line of defense. If your safety is the one that um, everybody on, you know, that everybody's talking about as far as your defense goes, that's probably not a good thing because he had to get through two levels the ball carrier had to get through two levels to get to the safety. So if he's the one that's making all the plays, that's not a good sign for your defense, right? No, yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's two ways of looking at safety play, right? So um, Stock still had 100 and some of the tackles. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head here. Um, or There we go. I, got a, I do have them on top of my head. Wink, wink. Um, he had 107 tackles as I'm staring at my uh, my Phil Steele preview. So that's how I got that number. Um, it, it, yeah, the thing is, if your running back is making it to the second and third line of defense, that's never great. How many of those stops is Brent Stock still making at the first line? Um, you know, up there, up to the by the line of scrimmage. We don't know, but your point is valid. You know, you probably in most cases don't want your safety making over 100 tackles in a season. Yeah, exactly. That's um, I think they're going to play some particularly pass heavy offenses somewhere down the line in this season. But still, I think 
if again, if the safety's the one that's got to make all the plays, that's never that's never a good sign. But I think Reed Blankenship's going to have uh, going to have a good resume building year, as it were, as far as his own personal performance. Um, with the uh, moving from a team that uh, neither of us seem to be super confident about to a team that I, I think both of us are very confident about, and that's the uh, North Texas Mean Green. Uh, I have them going eleven and one. Honestly, um, the only the only I only had them losing one game as I uh, try to remember what game that was uh, completely on my own volition with no help from technology. Um, but um, yeah, I think just with how good this team is and the amount of talent that's uh, particularly in that offense at the quarterback spot, Seth Luttrell's a, a fantastic coach. Um, I don't see them really having too much trouble. I think they're going to just offensively overpower most of the teams on their schedule this year. Um, it's kind of the opposite of um, Middle Tennessee situation where they have a, a really brutal start to the year with that non-conference section. But with with North Texas, I think they have some decent, uh, you know, brand names, so to speak, in that early uh, non-conference part of their schedule. But I just think they're better flat out. I think the, I think the one loss I had on... North Texas's schedule was Houston. I think that's going to be a tough game um, in Denton for them. And just, you know, Houston's got a lot of talent, you know, on both sides of the ball, even with Ed Oliver gone. But um, those other non-conference games, Abilene Christian, SMU, California, I think North Texas is, is going to just show that they're better than all three of those teams. And then I don't really see any of the other um, uh, Conference USA teams beating them. And that's partially because, like, North Texas has had so many chances to really um, get to the peak the last couple of years. And they've just been so close with a couple of small mistakes. You got to think they're going to be dialed in this year and not let that happen again. So that's why I'm picking them to go 11 and one. Yeah. I'm not going to kind of belabor the point too much because we're in agreement here. I do believe that the game they will lose, even though they, they welcome Houston to Apogee stadium. I, I think Houston, uh, Derek King is a hell of a quarterback. So I, I think uh, that might be too much for them. But outside of that, uh, I see them picking up the P5 win at California. See them heading to SMU and getting the W. The rest of the schedule there, once again, you really kind of made a lot of the points. They've had their chances. You could make the argument that even last year or the year before, they probably should have taken the next step uh, as far as winning Conference USA West. So I think they're going to have to put all of those pieces together this year and win. When you look at the talent, even on defense, Ladarius Hamilton's a stud. You know, Charlie Muhammad, uh, another stud. So, yeah, I am greatly looking forward to seeing Seth Luttrell's club kind of put it all together this year. I think they go 11-1 as well. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about it before, but with that record, I think we're both picking them to win the West. I think uh, so that puts them in the conference championship against uh, FIU most likely. Um so with that, uh, we'll, we'll jump back to uh, teams that are probably going to struggle this year for these next couple. Uh, but Old Dominion, uh, you know, I think they've definitely had a, had an interesting offseason with the, the talent that they've added, particularly at the quarterback spot. And that's uh, definitely to, you know, replace like Blake LaRusso, who um, didn't, uh, isn't coming back this year to go to seminary school. But um, I think they're going to go two and ten. I think they're going to have some issues because um, I don't. I don't think they replace the the defensive talent particularly, and I think that's going to come back to haunt them. Uh, I think they have some tough non conference games, so I think for that reason, I think they're just they're they're going to be one of the teams that gets left out of bowl contention. Yeah, once again, you know we're in agreement here. Not too much for to really push back on. I have them at two and ten. Uh, I think they'll beat Norfolk State, and then maybe there's an outside chance that they can beat like a UTSA or something like that. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be tough sledding for Bobby Wilder's club. A, you look at the amount of talent they lost last year. You know, they got O'Shane Zimenez, who's with the New York Giants. Both of their starting receivers from last year are in Detroit, Jonathan Duhart, Travis Fulgham. And also the quarterback situation, man, you know, it's, it's, I'm looking, once again, looking at my field, Phil Steele here and I'm just staring at the name Stephen Williams. Uh, there was talk rather recent that he may see some time at receiver, and it's just kind of crazy to think that, you know, 
a year ago, a year, year and a half ago, we thought this guy might be the next great conference USA quarterback, and now he's playing receiver. So that position obviously isn't settled. Um, a lot of new talent coming in. I've been kind of following our guy, uh, Reese Nobles, his coverage of ODU, and I'm not sure if it's going to be Messiah DeWeaver or Stone Smart. Either way, they're just not – I just don't think that they're going to be able to adequately pick up uh, a level of play at the FBS system quick enough to get them more than two wins. So uh, I've got them two and ten. It's uh, it's hard to get worse than two and ten, but – <laughs> let's talk about a team who I think is going to do worse than two and 10 uh, rice. I, I just, the only game I really see them winning is against uh, UTEP. So I think it's just not really going to come together for them this year. I think there's just been too much. I think the things that needed to happen for them in the off season didn't happen. I don't think they really solidified the quarterback spot. I think they lost, you know, their primary offensive playmaker in Aaron Cephas. Um, their other running back who was a really solid transfer to BYU, whose name's escaping me at the moment. But I think for those reasons, I, I think Mike Bloomgren's going to need another year to really right this ship. I, I don't see them, uh, you know, being anywhere near where most of the other teams in this league are, are in terms of talent and wins and losses. So once again, I'm, it's not that I'm not in agreement with you that the team it has an uphill fight. It's just that I am a little bit higher in terms of their prospects for the year. I don't have them going to a bowl game or anything, but I, I'm looking at my, my notes right here, and I have them at three and nine. Um, the By the way, the transfer you were thinking about was uh, Emmanuel Asubka. And, and that, once again, yeah, that's, that's you know, another uh, another huge loss for them. So let's just take a look at, at you know, playmakers, right? You lose uh, uh, Emmanuel Asubka. You lose um, Aaron Cephas. Those are two guys who are huge playmakers on offense for an offense that, quite frankly, was really struggling to score points last year. Additionally, uh, I, I like what Mike Bloomgren is doing. You know, he's bringing a different, while um, while all the teams are kind of zigging, he's zagging in terms of bringing a different offensive philosophy. He's still running a fullback. That's a, a staple of their offense, and that's pretty unique. If anything's going to save this team, it's going to be young talent on defense. Guys like Prudy Calderon, um, George Nyakwal, Blaze Allridge, once again, uh, he's a guy who's going to come up in our, our later discussion in, in the podcast. I think he's going to be a stud. Um, but I just don't know if there's enough for them. Like, I'm really – I'm waffling because I could easily see them going 1-11. and I could easily see them going three and nine and have them penciled in. As I look at my schedule, the games that I think they really have a fighting chance are Army, UTEP, and then maybe a UTSA. Um, those would be the three right there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually going to make a, a veer from my notes. Uh, I had them at three and nine. Uh, I'm going to take a step back and put them at two and ten. All right. I think where we're – I'll agree with you in that I don't think it's Mike Bloomgren's coaching style that's the problem. I think for the level of uh, talent that he's getting, that system's definitely going to work. And just the the kind of players that he's getting, I think eventually something's going to fall into place. I just think they had a really unfortunate offseason in all the stuff we just mentioned. And I think the the pieces that he had that could have developed into something really good in that system, they're just gone. So I think that's really going to hurt them down the road. Um, and also, I think, in terms of the schedule, I, I think that Army is going to be better than... Uh, I think Army is going to be good to the point where I'm not doubting whether or not they're going to beat Rice. I just think that they've... I think they're a very good team. This isn't an Army podcast, but I think Army's a really solid team right now, especially uh, you know at the G5 level. So I think... I had uh, I had Army beating them, and um, I'll agree with you that UTEP is is a winnable game for them. So I think that'll be their one win. Um, UTSA will be interesting. Um, we can we'll talk more about the Roadrunners further along in the show, and we also did a uh, comprehensive preview of uh, UTSA with Jared Calmus a couple of weeks ago. If you want to go back and listen to that, but I think UTSA is just in a little bit better of a position right now. Not much, granted, but I think they're in a little bit better of a position right now. Uh, so I think they'll win that game. Yeah, I mean, if, well, <laughs> if we're going to compare who's in better position between UTSA and Rice, I mm-hmm. think UTSA, just by virtue of 
Frank Wilson's been there a little bit longer and kind of brought in more of the talent that he wants um, in order of kind of shaping the program he, in, in, in his form. So we'll see. You know, it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, once again, the uh, Texas teams outside of uh, the mean green, just waiting to see how they, uh, which one can kind of dig themselves out of the grave uh, fastest, unfortunately. Um, so here's a program that's uh, probably going to be an interesting topic of discussion for us. Uh, USM, I have them at five and seven. I think they have, I think they have good talent. Obviously, I just don't. I just think they're going to hit some some issues. Uh, <laughs> I heard you say, "Oh boy." Uh, I just, yeah. I just think they have. A, I just think they have a tough schedule. Um, I'm not really, you know, I don't seem to have the uh, the faith in their head coach that um, a lot of other people seem to do. Um, so I think this is going to be a tough year for them in, in that regard. But I do think that they're going to win some games. I think um, they're going to hit a tough stretch uh, in the middle like several of these teams are. Um, but I do think that they end the year strong, and that's how they get to that 5-7 and seven mark. So I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if they end up getting a bowl game with that record. But we'll see. For those of you who are you know, loyal Conference USA Underdog Dynasty podcast listeners, you would know that kind of the gag early in the year last year for us was that we wouldn't be invited to Denton anytime soon to do a, a, a on-location podcast. Might as well just change that to Hattiesburg this year. <laughs> um, uh, I am a little bit higher on them, or I shouldn't say a, little, a lot higher on Southern Miss than Joe is. Uh, I have them, looking at my notes here, at 8 and 4, between 8 and 4 and 7 and 5. What really kind of brought me along and sold me on Southern Miss was Jack Abraham. And I know he's a guy who uh, is still in the midst of a quarterback competition. I honestly thought, and just in, you know, being fully transparent here, I didn't get a chance to watch too much of Southern Miss live, uh, you know, being at the stadium with FIU and being in transit, you know, it kind of made that kind of difficult. So when I looked at Jack Abraham's numbers, I really thought he was kind of a dink and dunk kind of guy. But everything coming out of there is that he has the potential to be the real deal at quarterback. Um, I, I think that defense has the possibility to be one of the top defenses, not only in Conference USA, but in the nation. Guys like Kyle Hemby, uh, Ty Williams, Rasheem Booth, Jaquiz Turner, Demario Smith, those are all really talented guys. And if anything is going to kind of bring that team along in the West, it's going to be the defense. I look at the games that I think are guaranteed losses for them, Mississippi State, Alabama, North Texas, and then I have a fourth potentially, whether it's UAB or FAU. Um, but, yeah, I – I'm going to be the, the, the optimist on them. I'll, I'll stay firm in the eight and four, but once again, I could easily see them at seven and five. Once again, my reasoning for that, it's, it's twofold. It's Jack Abraham. Uh, it, they do have Quez Watkins back in tow. So, I mean, that's a major playmaker and uh, it's the defense uh, where we are in agreement. It's like you, I'm not the highest on their head coach. Um, we'll see how that shakes out, but I, I, I think they'll get eight. Gotcha. Yeah, I I don't know. I think here's how I basically see the year shaking out for them. Beat Alcorn State, lose to Mississippi State, uh, having losing to Alabama, obviously. I see Troy beating them barely. I think Troy, I think, you know, I've been really impressed with what that Troy football program has been able to do the last couple of years, especially in the regular season. So, and they have the benefit of playing at home. So I think Troy's gonna gonna be able to take that one. Uh, having beating UTEP, obviously losing to North Texas, losing to Louisiana Tech, um, beating Rice, beating UAB actually, and then I think they drop one of those games against either UTSA or Western Kentucky, just because I think it, I think they just have a, a tradition or not a tradition. There's a pattern of them kind of you know, dropping tough games late in the year and then uh, losing to FAU to kind of lose the year. So that's kind of my thinking behind it. I mean, people can can feel free to disagree at this point. I don't really care. But I just based on kind of the pattern of performance we've seen out of USN the last couple of years. And, you know, I don't know. I think there's I think there's just too many questions for me to really put them in a uh, 
definite position to get to a bowl game. If they if they beat uh, if they beat UTSA and Western Kentucky, then I think they'll they'll win. The, they'll get to a bowl game. But I think uh, I'm just not 100 percent on on their ability to do that right now. Yeah, and once again, you know, I don't necessarily you know find too much fault in that opinion because I could easily see it going either way. And I feel like with Southern Miss, you're either a really strong believer in Jack Abraham and that he's going to be able to guys and make the difference, or you're really firm in your opinion that they don't have enough. And you're obviously in your, firm in your opinion they don't have enough. So I don't find fault either way. It's interesting to see, once again, how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah, it should be interesting. And uh, if they can't at least get to the point that I have them at, we'll, uh, we'll see if that, that coach isn't on the hot seat by the end of this year. But UAB, defending conference champs, I have them at 8-4. and four. Um, I think that end of the season is a little bit tough. Um, it, it's kind of like the opposite of what I think Middle Tennessee is dealing with in the front end of the year. Um, but I think they have a real good chance to start the year like six or seven and zero, and then I think they'll they'll hit some some tough times in the end of in the uh, in the end of that season. So that's my reasoning for putting the Blazers at eight and four here. Yeah, see, and, and that's where we kind of differ. That's the one that we flip flop, but we're in agreement on the schedule. You know, the first two, four, six, seven, I have them as wins. I think there's a legit possibility that they could lose the last five. Now, of course, we've got a guy like Spencer Brown in the backfield. You know, he might be able to get you um, – uh, excuse me. I want to clarify that before I, I get roasted here. You can maybe edit this out. Um, I have them losing four out of their last five. They're not going to lose to UTEP. Um, yeah. But, uh, but that, it, it, gets, it gets tricky with that schedule there. Uh, Spencer Brown, maybe he can get you a, a win versus a La Tech or a Southern Miss or a, a North Texas. But I, I, I just think that they take the step back, and I think that maybe uh, a team can sneak up on them. Maybe like a Western Kentucky might be able to uh, get a, a, a trap win. Maybe a UTSA can get a trap win. So that's why I have them at 75. Here's my kind of problem with UAB as a whole, right? I think across the board, they're pretty decently strong in the first string. I don't think they're a very deep team. So that's part of the reason why I think they're going to struggle at the end of the year. As you know, bumps and bruises inevitably pile up, I think that's where the problems are going to arise. And it doesn't, it doesn't help, obviously, that uh, they're ending the year with North Texas, Louisiana Tech, UTEP, Southern Miss, and Tennessee. So I think if you're, you're getting to that point at the end of the year where you have your tougher opponents and you're already kind of dinged up, that's where you're going to run into trouble. Sure, sure. No, I mean, I can't push back there. I, I completely agree with you. Okay, great. Fine. We're in agreement then. <laughs> you know, it happens from time to time on this podcast. Don't act like I never agree with you, Joe. <laughs> no, I know. Um, well, I mean, we've agreed plenty of times over the course of this very show. Um, with that then, speaking of being in agreement, I think we'll be in agreement for uh, this next opponent and, or this next team and their outcome for the year. Uh, UTEP, I have them at one and eleven. I think they'll start the year with uh, victory against FCS Houston Baptist, and then um, you know just due to the a the already kind of rough roster that they're working with and the injuries to the players who were really instrumental in the the little success that they have had the last couple of years, um, being either out or question marks. Um, I, I think they're going to have yet another really tough year at the hands of Dana Dimmel. Yeah, well, I'm going to make this one really quick. Agree on 1-11. I could easily see a situation where, you know, if Kyle Loxley, once again, is shaky coming out and this team is, you know, 1-4, 1-5, turn to the young guys. You've already got Deion Hankins, who's probably going to be the starting running back with the loss of Cadres Wadley. Uh, turn to Mr. T.J. Goodwin. Um, I, I, I could easily see that being a situation if the team gets out uh, to a slow start out of the gate. So um, I also have them at one and eleven. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough year for the miners, but um, you know, hopefully with uh, only a couple more years of that um, before they start really rebuilding that roster the way they need to. And uh, we'll stay in the state of Texas here with UTSA. I have them at three and nine. Um, you know, we talked about it with Jared. There's just not 
too much to be excited about in terms of firepower on this team right now. Uh, I think Frank Wilson's inevitably going to be uh, in the hot seat at the end of this year just because um, there's just not a lot of points being scored. And you can't, you know, you can't win games and you can't get to bowl games if you're not scoring points in college football. So um, that's kind of my reasoning for saying that they're going to go three and nine this year. No pushback as far as the reasoning. I'm a little higher on, or I shouldn't say higher. I'm not as high on Army as you are, so I have them at four and eight. Um, but yeah, if, if you <laughs> if the offense ain't working, you can't win games uh, defensively. You know they've got some solid pieces. Even last year defensively, they really put up a fight for uh, you know quite a few games. Uh, guys like Cassius Grady, Lorenzo Dantzler, I, I think those are solid players. Carl Austin as well, but. Um, it's just not there yet. Uh, I'm interested to see what Frank Harris might be able to do. I think that could be their saving grace as they begin them an extra game or so. But uh, and and Brendan, guys like Brendan Brady and B.J. Daniels. Brendan Brady played solid last year. Tyke Olga Kellogg is intriguing prospect at receiver, but it's all unproven, and uh, there's not really enough evidence to say that you can really lock them in for more games than what you just said. So I've got them at four. Could easily see them at three. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and uh, to tap it off or to cap off this part of the show, we'll talk about WKU. I have them at four and eight. I think they're going to improve uh, from what they did last year with Tyson Helm at home. I think the the new the system that he'll uh, he'll be implementing is going to help them improve on what they what they already have on that roster. Uh, but I think the the full rebuild is going to take time. So I think uh, I think I have them at four and eight for this year. Yeah, I've got them at three and nine. I'm just really curious what they're going to do with quarterbacks. I feel like they've got, you know, obviously Tyson Helton is there and he's seen these quarterbacks every day and he's made the decision to go with Stephen Duncan. Right. I, uh, as everyone listens to podcast knows that I'm in the Davis Shanley camp, but also, I mean, you got Kavaris Thomas on the roster. I mean, it's like at some point you got to figure out what the heck you have in him. Uh, being such a highly touted guy coming out of high school, but once again, Tyson Helton is there every day and he's seen these kids practice, so you know he's making the call. Um, but yeah, I've got them at three and nine. Gotcha. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough year for them. Um, however, this kind of transitions good into the next uh, topic I wanted to talk about, which was um, well, first of all, uh, I, I think Western's going to have a, a tough year regardless, just because uh, it, it takes time to kind of adjust. Um, the pieces that they have, because I think Mike Sanford was definitely trying to re- recruit a certain kind of player. And I think Tyson Helton's going to um, go a slightly different route in terms of offense. You know, I think it's going to be a much more pass heavy offense. It's going to be uh, closer to what they were running when he was the offensive coordinator a couple of years ago. And uh, Mike Sanford was just trying to make that, that team a little more balanced in terms of their offensive attack, as I've said, and that just doesn't, that just didn't really work with the pieces that they had at the time. So it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think it's, it's definitely going to be an improvement on what they've done. Um, but it's probably evident from the way that we talked about all the teams that we just mentioned, but my pick for uh, East champions, FIU, and I think they're going to meet the West champion, North Texas in the conference championship game. I think North Texas is going to win in that game. Um, but I think we're set for a, a really entertaining conference championship when we inevitably get to that point. Um, Eric, who are your picks to win East and West? I think I think we had both of these teams around the same mark. Yeah, no disagreement here. I've got North Texas, 11 wins coming out of the West. FIU, 10 wins coming out of the East. And, yeah, I, I, you know, let's not get too uh, far ahead of ourselves, but I'm really excited, especially concerned the fact that these two programs, these two programs, excuse me, don't play during the regular season. I'm just really excited to see a potential FIU North Texas Conference Championship game. Yeah, as am I. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, when you talk about like offensive fireworks, I think that's exactly what we're going to see in a quarterback battle between Mason Fine and James Morgan. Um, it's going to just, at the end of the day, it's going to be who can make more stops. So I think uh, if you're a fan of offensive football, I think you're going to get a real treat out of that conference championship game, if it happens. I feel pretty confident in saying that it will happen, but obviously no sure things in football. Um with that, then the next thing that I want to talk about, and this kind of ties into uh, into Western Kentucky, which is the uh, new face that you're most excited about um, this year. With me, I think it's Tyson Helton. I don't think it'll – it's not going to be completely immediate, but I think he's just going to have a, a huge impact on that program as a whole. 
um, and, and getting them to, you know, getting them back to the level that people have come to expect with uh, Western Kentucky football back when uh, Brian Brown was the head coach. Um, I think the way that they're going to throw the ball around is going to make a lot more sense for the talent that they have. Um, if Steven Duncan doesn't remain at that QB one spot for the entire year, I think the guys below him will, uh, be able to fit into that system just fine. Uh, but I, I think the, the opponents that they have are a little more experienced and that's why they're going to have better seasons. But I think this is a really good step in the right direction for Western Kentucky and bringing Tyson Helton in to be the head coach. So I'm really excited about what he can do for that program. Yeah, I've got a couple of names here as far as new faces. I'm going to take one as far as a coach, a couple as a player. The coach I'm excited, and I mentioned his name earlier at FAU, is Glenn Spencer, just because his he has a really, you know, just a, a track record and resume of putting together solid defenses. We know it's time at Oklahoma State. We know what he did at Charlotte. And I really think he's got some pieces. Like I mentioned, James Pierre, Tim Bonner, um, a, a lot of guys there, uh, Rashad Smith. The he's going to be able to kind of scheme them and put them in 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 situations that uh, will really kind of bring out the best in their talents. And I'm excited to see what he can do with Lane Kiffin. So that's my name as far as a coach. Player, once again, I'm going to go with a few. Um, I'm going to go with B.J. Emmons. I just think that he has, you know, we kind of get caught up, Joe, a lot in, in young guys making the transition from – high school of college, and he's someone who obviously needed a little bit of time. You know, he took a, an entire year away from football, just to kind of work on himself at the JUCO level, and now I think this is the right spot for him. He's back with Elaine Kiffin, someone who knows him well, so it's not like you're acclimating to the person as well as the player. And he was a four, borderline five-star recruit, depending on which recruiting service you want to subscribe to, uh, when he got to Alabama and saw the field as a true freshman. So I think they have someone who clearly is talented, especially at the CUSA level, who can – maybe be that guy who can carry the ball 20 times as well, split carries with Larry McCammon, see what he can do. And then Brett Keene at Charlotte. Uh, all everything, uh, wow, let's try this again. <laughs> uh, everything that we're hearing out of Charlotte is that uh, Keene does have a, a realistic shot at winning the quarterback position. And he's someone who I thought didn't really get a, I don't want to say he didn't get a fair shot, but he had a situation last year at USF where he was, ruled academically ineligible and they had to fight that and come to find out he actually was eligible so by the time they got that entire situation worked out the quarterback competition with him and blake barnett was already decided and chris oladokun and you know he kind of got the, the the raw end of the deal there where he ended up being the third stringer so i think he is a guy who's very athletic can really kind of fit with will healy's doing and he's someone who will Healy brought in and I'm intrigued to see what they, he may do at charlotte with the 49ers Nice. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't really have a, a player just because I think, you know, I think there's just, there's just too many, honestly, um, that there's too many in that I wasn't really defi- I couldn't pick one definitive one that was going to make uh, the biggest impact, but all the guys that you just mentioned, I think are going to be uh, positive additions to their team. I don't think anybody's really going to, I don't think there's going to be any busts in there. Uh, of the guys you just mentioned, especially the out-of-conference transfers. I think they're going to make a, a really good immediate impact on all their respective uh, squads. But um, with that, I guess we've made a lot of predictions for this year. Um, some I th- probably a lot of people saw coming, some less so. But what do you think is your most bold prediction for the coming year, if, uh, if you didn't say it already, Eric? You have to edit that out, uh, Joe. I legit didn't hear what you said. All I heard was bowl. Oh. Um, what, what do you think is your most bold prediction for the year? My most bold prediction? Okay, sure. Uh, what I am kind of thinking here, I've got a couple. I'm going to give you – I think the Charlotte one might be bold because, you know, I'm obviously higher on Charlotte than some other people are. But I want to give you two names. Benny LeMay, I think if Charlotte has the season, if all things fall into place, right, the quarterback situation works out, uh, Victor Tucker is able to provide a, a capable receiving threat, which he did last year, he can carry it over to this year, the defense plays well. How about Benny LeMay as my offensive player of the year? And how about a dark horse guy for defensive player of the year in Blaze Aldridge? Not that Rice is going to win enough games to really warrant the kind of attention uh, that a depoy should have, but I just think he's a guy who 
was a didn't start until halfway through the end of the year and almost racked up like 70 tackles. So I think him being a full-time starter, given the inadequacies that Rice may have, he's going to have an opportunity to really hit that 120, 130, 140 mark and also make plays behind the line of scrimmage. So those would be two bold predictions. Benny LeMay as Offensive Player of the Year and Blaze Aldridge as a Dark Horse Defensive Player of the Year. Interesting. All right. I look forward to seeing whether or not those come true, sir. Um, with that, I think my a lot of people probably will say my uh, record prediction for Southern Miss probably kind of falls into that category. And sure, based on uh, many of the media polls that are out there that have them that are significantly higher on them, I would agree. Um, another one that I have, I think two coaches are going to get fired at the end of this year. Um, which you can make your own decision on whether or not that's bold. But, uh, you know, I think uh, like Frank Wilson in particular, I think he's been on the hot seat for, or maybe not been on the hot seat for a couple of years now, but I think his overall performance has been kind of disappointing. So I think if he doesn't pull something special together uh, this year, I think he might be gone. Um, And then I'm not going to definitively name another one, but I feel like there's going to be at least one other one that gets the boot at the end of this year. Um, so that's my, that's my prediction for this year. No, I mean, I, I could easily see both of those things happening and not that you want to see anyone lose their job, but right. there definitely are some situations in conference USA where whether it's a new athletic director coming in, I mean, let, let's, we'll talk about the one you have on the record and, uh, Frank Wilson, if my memory serves me correct, Lisa Campos is a new athletic director, um, there at UTSA. So I don't believe that she brought in Frank Wilson, and we all know how that goes. So it, it, it's fair to assume that that might be the case. Yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of that's part of it too. Anytime there's a change in leadership, if you don't succeed immediately, then uh, you may you may find yourself falling out of favor very quickly uh, with your new boss. So that's that's kind of how that may or may not shake out. Um, have we we talked about it a little bit in the record predictions, but who specifically do you have going to bowl games here? So when you look at our Conference USA roundtable, I had six locks. I think that Conference USA has six that are, you know, you can take to the bank, take them to Vegas. The two Florida teams, Marshall, UNT, La Tech, and then obviously the one that we're in disagreement on in Southern Miss. Now, I think there's two more that could be toss-ups. I have Charlotte as a bowl team. You could make that as a toss-up. I have UAB as a bowl team. Some could take that as a, as a toss-up. So I want to stick with what I have on paper here and send eight Conference USA teams to bowl games. Uh, so teams that I mentioned, I'll go ahead and run them down one more time. FIU, FAU, Marshall, Charlotte, North Texas, Southern Miss, La Tech, UAB. Gotcha. Yeah, I have many of the same ones. I I'm pretty positive that we'll see FIU, FAU, Louisiana Tech, Marshall, North Texas, and UAB in bowl games. I think Charlotte and USM are right on the bubble, but I don't, I don't feel confident in saying they will definitely be bowl teams at this stage, but I think they're right on the cusp. But I, have, I think I have five sure things and two that are, you know, right there. So that's, you know, seven total, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, and once again, you know, this is something we'll look back at the end of the year and kind of see how it shakes out. But there are those teams that you know are kind of toss-ups. But I, I think we're definitely in agreement as far as the uh, there being six locks. Now, who those locks are, I, I know we're in agreement about five of those teams. Um, but I think we're in agreement that, that CUSA has definitely sent at least six teams to bowl games this year. Yeah, and that's, that's a pretty safe bet, I think. Um, with that, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you kind of wanted to touch on in our uh, season preview, Eric? I know we've been going for over an hour at this point. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we've, you know, gotten pretty comprehensive as far as things go. Um, can not really anything else. I think, you know, we had our, our one major surprise, which was Southern Miss as far as a disagreement. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, I think we, we've pretty much adequately got uh, ourselves ready for Conference USA football here, man. It's only uh, nine days away, so I'm pumped up. Yeah, it's really close. Really, really close. Uh, so follow us throughout the year. Weekly episodes coming your way, talking about all the latest and greatest things coming out of Conference USA football. Uh, you can find that on underdogdynasty.com. 
And uh, of course, on all your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, all the good ones. Leave us a review. That really helps the show grow. Uh, still looking to, you know, boost those numbers, baby. Get us up there. Um, rate and review us. That really helps. Um, and of course, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like them on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. Um, Eric, looking forward to talking more Conference USA football for the next uh, 12 weeks and beyond. I'm ready for it. As always, buddy, looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Happy football watching.